Welcome to Arcade Bookshop, your podcast about video games and their literary counterparts for all of you who love to play and to read. Thanks so much for listening and joining us today. I'm Bryce Yoli, and as always, I'm here with my pal and cousin-in-law, Caleb James. And today is a special episode because we're also joined by Jay Malone of the YouTube channel Square Pegs. Thanks for coming on, Jay. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yes, uh, you're most well known now. I'd say for your YouTube channel, right? <laughs> per, per, I think that's safe to say. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so on your channel, you re- you both review games. You talk about the process of collecting video games. I actually found out about you because of you know we started the podcast. I started looking into going to conventions like Cleveland uh, uh, Gaming Classic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I was just looking at who was there and I, I was looking through the YouTube personalities and your channel in particular caught my eye. So I was I was excited to meet you and uh, I'll, I'll explain why in a, <laughs> in a little bit. I, I but, would like to know why, because yeah. I, I'm, I'm always <laughs> mystified as to why people are like, I love your show. I'm like, I'm just a dude talking in his basement. But thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'll jump to it. I think I feel like a lot of these a lot of like video game channels, a lot of uh reviewers collectors for me like I, i'm getting i'm I'm new into both of us probably are new into um the video game side of uh the internet really i you know i was off of social media for a few years i never really get like dove into youtube hard but since we started this podcast up in the last year we started uh i mean i i at least started <laughs> really trying to connect with people more people in the industry and uh you know see what was out there so when I watch a lot of these channels, and this is no offense to anyone, but since I'm not like really like deep in the internet, the <laughs> the the personalities of everybody is like a little much for me a lot of the time. Like people, you know, the the video game field, I guess people like really, and I don't want to say like geeky or be offended, be offensive, but <laughs> people are really like a little gung ho and you know over the top, you know, and what really uh, caught me about yours is that you're super well spoken you're calm uh i told caleb the other day your videos for me are like raking sand <laughs> <laughs> thank you it's an odd compliment so, yeah. now, I've, I've been now been compared to a zen garden and a fireside chat so this is this is awesome <laughs> i love this yeah like it's i i put your videos on while i'm working because I mean, I listen to other video game podcasts throughout the day, but I just like it doesn't even matter what you're talking about necessarily. I just, you, you know, you have that like very <laughs> level and calm and contained, like you know what you want to talk about, and you don't really, you don't really care, and you're not like, you know, you're not over the top or anything. It's just like it's a comforting thing to have during the day, well, you know, during a work day. It's a nice reprieve from the over the top gimmicks that a lot of yeah. channels put on just to get views and clicks. It, it took me a while to get there. I won't lie. Um, early, early videos on the channel after I got comfortable in front of a camera, because the earliest ones I I'm on the other side of a hostage negotiation, trying to tell my family that I'm safe uh, and that I'm being fed. Um, but the ones that probably after about six months of making videos, I, I was very much chasing the, this is what everyone else is doing. So this is what I need to do. And they were ridiculously inauthentic. They weren't getting views. No one cared. Um, and then I did a video called tales of an industry. Nobody, uh, I, I used to work in the game industry. I was there for uh, uh, just about seven years. Um, and I decided to let myself be me instead of trying to be the persona the, the, you know, the, that I was trying to fulfill at that time. And the reaction was immediate. And it was uh, people were interested in the fact that I was an actual person and I wasn't just a YouTuber. Um, and that that really spoke to me. Uh, and the, the channel growth since then has been... Um, I don't want to say it's been astronomical. I think it's been steady. Uh, there, there hasn't been a negative month since that time. Um, and it's been really nice to have people come up to me at a convention and and say, you know, I watch your videos because it's like having a conversation with a friend. Mm-hmm. Or it's, I don't have to worry about my kids watching your videos because you are you're family friendly. And I, I laugh at, you know, when they say that, I was like, Oh, you don't see the outtakes. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it, it was, it was a conscious decision to, to make something that I would feel comfortable with my kid watching and other people's kids watching, because I didn't want to, for one, I didn't want to lose out on the monetization option because I mean, it is a hobby, but sure. I do like getting money for what I do. But the other side was, it's like, I want, I want to have something that is 
left behind that I can point at and be proud of when I'm done. And I think I'm there. Like the, it's been a, it's been a long four years working on the channel, but, um, the, the last year I think has been really incredible Like going to Cleveland. I was a guest, uh, I was a guest there. I was a guest in, uh, Columbus for two different channel or two different shows this year. I was a guest at Southeast game exchange in South Carolina. So the, the, the growth is there and it's, it's been really nice. And getting to do stuff like this is great. This is like the third podcast I've done this week, which is so strange to me. Nice. (laughs) Um, Because it was, it was, it was, it was literally it's feast or famine. Like it was, it was, there was nary an invite. And then we started talking and then it was like, Hey, do you guys, do you want to, do you want to do a podcast on Monday? I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? We can book in the week. And then it was, Hey, do you want to do it on Wednesday too? I was like, good Lord, what is happening? (laughs) Um, but I, I was really intrigued by, cause we met at, at Cleveland. This is the first time I'd heard about you guys. And I loved the concept. I was so just intrigued. It's like, I don't, I don't know if you've seen some, uh, I did a, a series early in the channel when I was first kind of discovering who I was, uh, cause I'm, I, I was, I was raised by a college professor. My mom is a archeology span and anthropology major. Oh, cool. So there's always books in our house and always like heavy, heavy, heavy books. Nothing like it was sure. We had Lord of the Rings and stuff like that, but there was also, <laughs> you know, the 12th guide to anthropology this year or whatever. And it was like, okay, but it was, it was one of the, the, the series I did early in my channel was I did, I tried to equate RPGs to uh, the hero's journey and going through the different steps of the hero's journey and kind of, you know, trying to explain it that way. And I didn't get a, I didn't get any reaction on it. It was, it ended up being a lot more work than it was worth pursuing at the time. Uh, And then, you know, you introducing yourself to me and looking into the show a little bit. And I remember I was talking to my friend, Chris, who was sitting with me at the show and I was like, this is so cool. This is such a great idea. Like equating books and arcade games or just video games together is, is brilliant. This is, this is the kind of stuff that excites me because it's different. It's not the same spiel over and over and over again, which I'm very much guilty of in, you know, I I do same things over and over again, but hearing something new and hearing what makes you guys click. And I love seeing the Instagram shorts you guys are doing and the reels you guys do, which are, you know, a little bit more playful and stuff like that. I think it's just fantastic. So I guess I kind of turned that around to saying thank you for having me on something I think is really cool. (laughs) So it's, well, I I mean, yeah, thank you because sometimes, you know, it's, I think especially nowadays, it's just really hard getting started. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems like, I mean, what, from what Caleb has told me, because he, he has a podcast as well uh, called the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. Um, he started his before COVID, but I guess during COVID, like there was an explosion of podcasts and channels and stuff. So you're really like diluted when you start something nowadays. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we get some regular listeners, but it's definitely a challenge. And, you know, I really think, I really believe it's a good idea. So it's comforting and validating to hear someone like you tell me that you like it so much because you know i haven't heard it a lot yet <laughs> and, so, and it that. makes you it makes you question yourself you know like you're doing this for like a year eight months or whatever and uh you know pumping out that social media stuff and you're like is it even worth it um yeah it's the it, it won't feel like it is i'll, I'll tell you that um it, it's a very the the content creation is a cruel mistress because you have these ideas and they're sound ideas and they're good ideas and people will tell you that they're good ideas but you're not getting the audience that you think you should be getting because of people saying that and there were uh there were plenty of times that i wanted to stop um Mm -hmm. just because i didn't think it was worth my time worth my effort um and uh you, you mentioned covid covid's exactly what happened to me i started the channel in 2019 and then gave up on it like immediately I did two videos. I was like, Nope, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, and then the world shut down and I was like, well, I guess I can do this thing again and, and talk about video games on the internet. Cause I can't go talk to my friends about video games anymore. Um, it took me, gosh, probably two years to get to the point where I was getting any kind of traction on what I was doing. And that that's any kind of traction. Like I was, you know, a hundred views on a video was, you know, time to pop the champagne. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, I, I used to play hockey when I was younger and it was, it was something, you know, my, my grandfather imparted on me was just because you have a talent doesn't mean people are going to see it. You have to keep working at it to make sure that people, you, you have to be undeniable. And that stuck with me because I knew when I found my voice and, and I, I can say this for you guys as well, you, you found something special. And it's going to be real easy to be tempted to stop because if the audience isn't there, what's the point? That's, that's just natural human reaction. Why wouldn't we do that? But if you push through it, 
eventually someone's going to notice. And you guys have had um, some magazine coverage in Pittsburgh, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, we had one. Um, it was we were in like a top ten new podcast thing early that's on. That's more than that's more than me. So <laughs> it's it's uh, it's something where you know the 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 other side of the 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 content creation isn't just making the content; it's also marketing the show, like you said, doing the stuff on social media, but reaching out to local shows and stuff like that. Um, you know, reaching out. Uh, Pittsburgh Game Expo is uh, in your area. It's a phenomenal show. Brian's a great guy that runs it, and yeah, I think you know. Being local boys, I, you know, reach out, you know, get, get shoot them a message yeah. and, and get on a website. You know, that's it gets eyes on. I'll just like you discovered me. You know, it's it's going to put someone onto the show, and all it takes is one person saying this show is really cool. You guys should listen to this, and then it's going to spiral. Yeah. yeah, well, I appreciate that. It's actually relevant that you say that because we like this weekend or this the past couple of days actually we've been um and I'm I, I have something to get back to you in a minute, but <laughs> while we're on the topic, the the last couple of days we've been like tossing around the idea of actually going to cgc this year okay. and um i think it's not the investment i can make right now just because it involves you know lodging and food and gas sure. and all of that in addition to the table cost but um <laughs> you know we, we had to like talk about like what we're actually doing and it, what what investments are worth it and what aren't and but i did decide that overall uh i do want to do events I think I'm just not ready to like actually like, you know, travel to one. But yeah, I'm looking at Pittsburgh Gaming Expo and I'm I also applied to the uh Three Rivers Comic Con in, nice. in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Really? So as long as the tables are still available, we should be at that one. That's awesome. Um yeah, and I was getting, gonna sorry, go ahead. Yourself, yeah, I was gonna say getting yourself out there, especially locally, is huge. Like it's um I don't have that option here. You know, here I, I'm in I'm in Kalamazoo, Michigan. We have nothing. Mm. <laughs> we we have uh, a traveling version of the Grand Rapids Comic Con that sort of comes around once a year, and I say sort of because they were supposed to be here a couple of times and they decided not to. So mm. it's there's 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 one retro game shop. There's no conventions, no expos. So for me, it's it's travel or nothing. So right. if you've got that option to do something local, by all means, embrace it, take it. Like, um, exactly. Do you, get, do you know who John Riggs is? I don't. Okay, so he's he's a retro uh, game creator as well on YouTube. He's he's a mentor. Um, John's an incredible guy, and one of the things he always stressed to me was don't ignore the smaller shows or the local shows because that is your backbone. That's your bread and butter. Um, because supporting them, they're going to remember it. The big shows aren't necessarily going to remember that you were there the year before. But True. something like a show that's in your backyard where you can help promote the show on your show or talk about the show to people that you know locally that are going to buy a ticket. That's so much more impactful than we brought in random YouTube guy. Like who cares yeah. about that? Like all my stuff that I go to is within a four hour driving distance for me uh, because it's, that's what I have to do. I don't really have a choice. Um, and that's, that's, you know, when I say I'm local, that's, that's what I mean. It's like, you know, Columbus, Ohio is not local to me whatsoever, but it's as good as I'm going to get right now. So, you know, helping out those local shows is a big deal. Yeah. So like when it comes to these shows, like the conventions and stuff, what do you think it is that you get out of them? And like, is there a way that you make sure that you give back when you go to them? So there, oh, that's, that's a great question. So I've, I've been on both sides of, of a convention. I, I used to volunteer at them down in Florida when I lived down there. Um, and now as a guest, which is an entirely different side of operations, it's, it's bizarre. Um, but the, the main thing, and I'm going to answer the second half before I answer the first half, the main okay. thing that I think is, is, is a responsibility and you have to do as a guest and something I got kind of made conscious of at Cleveland, um, but talking to Tom, who's, who's the, the guy who runs the Cleveland gaming classic was it's fine. If you leave your table, it's fine. If you get up and walk away, just leave a note when you're going to be back just so people have an expectation because you're part of the attraction. You're part of the reason people are coming to the show. And it didn't that that never clicked in my head that that was a thing I should be doing. I was like, oh well, that's just common courtesy. Of course, I should be doing that. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it's it's making sure that I'm available to the show for whatever they need because if they're having me in as a guest, that means I'm working for them for that weekend and leading up to it. I'm going to promote the show. I'm going to talk about being there. I'm going to put the show up on social media. I'm going to give links. I'm going to talk about ticket prices. You know the whole thing. Uh, when I'm at the show, I am there to meet guests. I am there to go shopping and meet vendors. I am there to film content. I am there to cover it. Um, I'm there to interview the show host uh, to make sure that they have a face out there as well, because so often they go nameless and faceless, and that's kind of unfortunate. 
um, because it's really a thankless job running a convention. Um, so to me, that's my responsibility is making sure that the show is covered in the best light it possibly can be. Hmm. Um, now if I'm just there attending the show, I don't film anything because I'm there to have fun for myself. Um, that's not going to happen every time. Like I didn't, I didn't film in Pittsburgh because I was only there for a day. We were there with some friends that are in town. Um, and we were only there, I think we were only there for like two hours. So it wasn't going to make any sense for me to film. But, um, like when I go to uh, Midwest gaming classic in April, uh, which is the first show I'm doing this year, I'll probably take an entire day filming, just walking oh, up and down aisles, looking through the vendors, buying stuff, you know, interviewing people, talking to other guests, stuff like that. Um, but the main thing I get out of it, aside from the opportunity to collect some stuff, because I just, like I said, I don't have that opportunity here locally. I just, it's there, there's nothing here. Um, you know, so from a, from a stuff perspective, that's, <laughs> that's great because I can add to the goblin horde behind me. But the, the, the main thing I get out of it is one meeting people that care about the show, which is always gratifying and incredible. There was a, uh, a show last year and I can't remember which one it was, but seeing someone randomly that wasn't there to talk to me i was just walking through the aisles and seeing them in a square pegs hoodie <laughs> like I, I was i was cloud nine high for the rest That'd of the be day so it was, cool oh yeah. it was amazing it was absolutely incredible i was like you've got to be kidding me like this guy's wearing my stuff and he, he didn't come here to look look what i'm wearing it was just he's just looking at a booth and i was like that's so cool um but the <laughs> other side of it is there's a really and it's interesting because it it, it can frequently be such a, a toxic a toxic hobby but there's such a positive community around retro gaming at the retro gaming expo. Now you're going to have your jerks at the shows. That's, that's every place you're going to have a massive humanity. There's going to be someone there that's just not cool, but getting to meet people that are excited about the same thing you're excited about is just an instant icebreaker. You know, you don't have to worry about saying something that people's going to, people are going to judge you for being a geek or a nerd or something like that. You, you, you instantly have that connection, whether it's, a 12-year-old kid who's excited about playing Smash Ultimate at the free play area to the 48-year-old guy who's looking for Atari 2600 cartridges. We share that love of it. And being able to see them and talk to them and celebrate this hobby and see my friends, you know, my fellow content creators who live all over the, you know, earth in some cases. But, you know, I like I know so many people out on the West Coast that I only get to see once or twice a year. Yeah. And it's at these shows. So it's, you know, going out to dinner with them, going to a movie with them before the show starts or anything like that. It's just that's the stuff I remember. Like the, the pickups are secondary. The, it's the, the friendships and talking to people and just the hangout. That's the best part. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I hadn't thought of like making sure the host is seen and all that. Like I, so I'm glad you said that. Cause that's something I can think about when I go out there now. Um, you know, it's something that I, I, I have no, I, I have no idea what my booth will look like when I, when I do it, I'd like to do something that's both like, engaging and like respectful for everyone that's coming by and for the you know for the host and everything and uh but yeah that gives me that gives me something to think about like you know maybe that you know i can actually like you said you cover the you cover the show mm -hmm. and you don't have to do that and no you don't reason yeah. i like you <laughs> it, it's it, it's to, to me it's one of those things that i think is my responsibility at that point if they're mm -hmm. paying to have me out if they're giving me a hotel room it's it's quite literally the least i can do this is a hobby they're just having me do my hobby they're just paying me to do right. it, which is super weird, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to be there. You know, uh, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I, I've met some some really incredible people doing shows and, and going to expos and stuff like that. And a lot of times organizers will be like, no, I don't want to be on camera. I don't need to be on camera. It's fine. But there, there are certain times where you'll you'll talk to them and just be like just five minutes. Let me ask you some questions about the history of the show and we'll go from there. And they're like. Yeah, you know what? Actually, that sounds pretty cool. And and they're on there. And and I've had people comment on stuff. It's like I had no idea Gary Rancors. I, I I've never spoken to him before. Been going to the show for ten years, and I had no idea this was the organizer. It's like oh, now you do. So <laughs> it's it's stuff like that that I just I think it's important. And it's it, for me like having having me at a show is is, is it's obviously it's cool. Like it's great for me. I, I love it. But if they think that I'm important enough to have there, then the least I can do is show them the same courtesy that they're important enough to be on camera to feature them right yeah that's awesome and i want to loop back to something you said earlier about just how you like to run your show and it's kind of i mean it's kind of silly but it's also significant um the fact that you want to make your your channel family friendly and you don't <laughs> like you don't swear an abundant amount stuff like that uh that that's the kind of thing that i notice and you know, it adds to that like Zen quality. Um, but like I, I noticed that in any 
any show that I listen to, uh, because I would say most podcasts at least are vulgar, including like us included. Like <laughs> we we swear a lot, <laughs> uh, and, and it's something I'm always like. It's I I I go back and forth on because. You know, I would like to be able to be open to as many people as possible as well. You know, I would just completely accessible. But but at the same time, like my authenticity is that I swear a lot. <laughs> and uh, it, so it's like a, it's like a battle because I don't I don't like to be heard that way. But I also talk that way, especially when I get enthusiastic about something. <laughs> I, I am very much the same way. Um, I I have. I mean, my my mom was like I said, she was a, a college professor, but I was primarily raised by my grandparents. My grandfather was a Navy man in World War II. I heard a few words in my life. <laughs> um, so it, it's uh, I, I swear constantly, constantly like it is just one one word after another. In, in most regards, it's just, it's just one of those things that uh, when the camera goes on, it goes off and, and it's not really a conscious thing. It was. It was just kind of, uh, and it's it's one of the things that has stuck in my in in the ADHD brain was uh, one of the few things that sticks up there uh, is when I started the show. I said, you know what? There's so many people that just go all over the you know go completely blue in their videos and they're all over the map of their language. I want to I want to make sure I'm not, and that that stuck. Now that slips sometimes. Like I use the Diet Coke swears. Like Helen Dam are fine. Those those don't yeah. bother me at all. But. Um, Anytime you hear Wario go wow or anything like that in the show, that's that's me slipping up uh, because I didn't catch it until the edit, and it's like oh shit, all right. <laughs> I need to I need to catch that. I need to get that covered. So it's yeah, there there'll be I'll flash a Wario face up on screen so you can't see my my mouth or anything like that. It's just it's silly, but um, it, it's it's one of those things where it's it's important to me. It's important enough to me that I can I can suggest the show to anyone. Yeah. Um, because I know other shows that I've done in the past that has not been the case where it's mm -hmm. been kind of like, oh, yeah, no, I do a podcast. I can't tell you what it is, though. I don't <laughs> want anyone listening to this. So, yeah, well, you never know. Like, I, it's, it's actually surprising to me to hear that that's your, like, typical. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm filthy. You should see the text messages. There. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, I'm really interested to hear more about your uh you're like you said you're in, you were in the like development before right game yeah I, I i was in uh game qa so i was i was a uh okay a, i started as a tester uh, i was uh, i was hired as a temporary employee at electronic arts tiburon in orlando florida i was hired on march 10th 2003 that is my wife's birthday um that's the only reason that date sticks out to me it's because it was my wife's birthday it's like hey happy birthday to you i got a job <laughs> uh I was a I was a telemarketer at the time for Scholastic Books, so I used oh. to call up grandmas and try to sell them Captain Underpants books and get yelled at um, <laughs> because they were vulgar, filthy books. And I was like, oh, of course, there's <laughs> can't Captain Underpants rules. And uh, I, I got the job at EA, and it was you know you're you're going to be here for six months, and that's it. You know, that's 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 all we have space for. We don't do permanent conversions. You're you're going to be here six months, and then you're done. So I went in just saying, you know, it's a six month break from being a telemarketer. And that's, that's, that's all I need right now. I just need something to get my soul back from selling books. And, uh, I started and the first thing I worked on was NCAA football 2004 for the Nintendo GameCube. Um, the, the one thing I said I wanted to do, I, I'd, I'd wanted to work in video games since I was a kid. Uh, I, I got an issue of Nintendo power, uh, and there was a, uh, a graph paper drawing of one of the levels of Mega Man two in it from the, the developer on Mega Man 2. And I said, I'm going to do that someday. Uh, and when I found out about the opportunity to work there, I was like, well, you don't get to knock a childhood dream off the off the uh, bucket list every day. So yeah, let's go right. for it. And the first thing I worked on was NCAA 2004. I said I wanted to work on a Nintendo product. If that was all I ever did in the industry, that was enough. I was happy. Uh, and then seven years later, I delivered about 30 games. Uh, I worked on everything from uh, football titles to... I worked on Mirror's Edge on the Xbox 360. I worked on a game called Henry Hatsworth and the Puzzling Adventure on the Nintendo DS, which is the thing I'm, I'm most proud of in my time in the industry. Um, and it was it was an incredible experience. And it gave me a uh, an insight into the industry that I don't necessarily think a lot of people have because I got to see it from the lowest of the low. I mean, it's, it's, if, if you haven't worked in, in video game development, and this is this is specific to the early 2000s to, to 2010. Um, 
QA was not really thought of as part of the team. We were, we were them. It was, it was us versus them. And to, to development, we were them. We were, we weren't in the same building. Uh, we, we weren't invited to the dinners. We weren't given a budget for food, you know, like none of this stuff. And, and, you know, we're working the same hours they are sometimes longer. Um, so it was, it was in many cases, a thankless job, but it led to a career. I still do software QA to this day. I don't do video games anymore. I work in library software. It's significantly less boring or significantly more boring, but significantly less time consuming. Um, and it, it's something where that experience I took from that job has made me appreciate things a lot more. Um, the first nine months of my son's life, I didn't see him because I was I was working every day for for probably eight of those nine months I was working, uh, trying to deliver games. And that was hard. Um, and when I got laid off, uh, it was one of those things where I was, I was convinced my world was over, that everything was done. Uh, and it was probably the best thing that's ever happened to me um, because it gave me more time with my kid, more time with my wife. Uh, it made me realize the things about the job that I really loved that I could keep doing, just not necessarily in video games. Um, and it, it brought me to the biggest creative thing I've ever done in my life, which is, which is my channel. Uh, because if I didn't have that background, I don't think I would have ever started. Um, it was, you know, one of the things that I, I make a conscious effort to do with my show is that I try to look at things from a developer's perspective or from the, the industry side of things, as opposed to just the fanboy side of things. I do plenty of fanboy stuff and I, I'm, I'm very much guilty of that because I was a fan before I was, you know, before I worked on anything, but, um, a lot of times like people will say, it's like, this is ridiculous. There's so many bugs. There's so many bugs, there's so many bugs. It's like, well, you're right. It is ridiculous that there's so many bugs, but you're also thinking that there's an infinite amount of time to work on a game. Like we would develop and deliver one of our sports titles in nine months mm. from, from soup to nuts, like initial concept to pressing the gold discs, nine months. Wow. Um, which is an insanely fast amount of time. Yeah. Uh, and granted, you know, you can look at it and say, well, you're starting with an established code base. You blah, 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 blah. That's true. We were, that's, that's accurate. We were starting, we weren't starting from scratch. We were starting from something that was already built, but there were so many nuance based changes and so many minor things that most people wouldn't even recognize as, as being a shift in what the code was or what the physics engine was. Like, I don't think people realized how much physics change and engines change every year when you're creating something. When we made the transition from the Xbox PS2 and GameCube generation to the PS3 and the Xbox 360, uh, that was the year we worked on NASCAR 08 and we didn't have test kits. We had 12 test kits in the entire building and that went to Madden because Madden made the money. Uh, and rightfully so it should have gone to Madden, but we were then after we were an afterthought. We didn't get testing kits until probably about eight weeks out from finishing the game. So it was a mad scramble to get the game tested. The physics engine was completely broken where cars would fly in the sky. Um, <laughs> we promised uh that we would have a full field of racers online which if i remember correctly it's been a long time since i've watched nascar but i think it's 41 or 42 drivers so we said we were going to have 42 independent drivers online that you were going to be able to have a full field of racing we shipped with 16 because yeah. it was impossible uh and it was just one of those things where it was it was you know it got it got panned in reviews and it should have gotten panned in reviews it wasn't a great game but the fact that it got released at all it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Minor miracle. Like it's because it was one of those things where, you know, we're three weeks out from, from our drop dead date. And I'm like, there's no fucking way this thing to release. We're not going to get this done. And in three weeks, it turned around to the point where it was at least playable. And I'm like, fuck it. We're done. Go just release <laughs> it. We're fine. Uh, and it is to this day, the worst rated game I ever worked on <laughs> and it should be, but it finished. So it was, it, it was, it was, it was something that I, you know, I, I was very proud of the fact that we at least finished the game. Right. That's so, like working in food service or retail. People don't appreciate what exactly. goes into it unless you do it. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, I, I worked in cafes, uh, my teenage years. That was, that was my thing. Cause it gave me time to go play hockey. I could, you know, go work in a cafe in the morning and I could play hockey all night. So like I, I, I firmly believe that everyone should have a retail or a service industry job at least once in their life to appreciate the amount of garbage you give to servers. Because like if your server sucks, that's that's one thing. But if you're just having a bad day and you're taking it out on your server, man, don't be an asshole. Come on. Like, yeah, it's not it's not right. It's just not right. So when it comes to uh, 
I'm interested in your perspective on this uh, since you're in QA. When it comes to games that are released with a lot of bugs, like the big one, obviously, was the Cyberpunk game. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are your feelings on that? Uh, my feelings on Cyberpunk was that was inevitable. Um, when Cyberpunk got announced and they showed off what it was going to be, and it was it's an open world and it's a massive world. There's persistent changes as you're playing. I was like, oh, that's gonna be riddled with bugs. <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna be an absolute just dumpster fire of bugs. Uh, it was um <laughs> uh, and then i think like like two months before release we're like yeah we're gonna do ps5 and uh series x upgrades i was like oh no, yeah no you're not um <laughs> and it, and they didn't uh but it was it, it was one of those things where i looked at it and i go this needed another year to bake it needed one more year to bake and unfortunately you don't really get that option when it's a licensed game if that was a completely independent IP that wasn't reliant on anything else. I'm pretty sure they could have said, you know what? This isn't ready. We're going to kick it back a year. And people would have been like, oh, that sucks. But they'd have forgotten about it when this unbelievable game that it is now released. Right. Uh, It would have been like, oh, all is forgiven. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Miyamoto said uh, um, a delayed game is eventually good. A bad game is bad forever. That's accurate. It's it's something where when you're dealing with that, because the Cyberpunk 2077 is a license. It's it was I think it was a role playing game originally. Uh, like a, a pen and paper RPG. Um, so when you're dealing with that license, you have a responsibility to the licensee that you are going to deliver it on time, on your contractual obligation under the objectives that they set forth. Uh, we used to deal with that with the NFL. There was a year where we released, uh, or we said that in our contract, we were going to release like five NFL games. And that was all fine and dandy when we were doing stuff like Madden and NFL Street and NFL Street 2 and some other stuff that was great. And then we got to the PS3 generation. We're like, all we have is Madden. Uh, all right. So we're going to put out three fantasy football SKUs, none of which are actually fantasy football related. Yeah, I worked on that. Uh, and <laughs> uh, we're, we're going to count those. And the NFL is going to be happy. And I'm like, okay, if the NFL is happy with their billion dollar contract, then I guess I'm happy too. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's one of those things where when, when you have that, that license that's responsible to, to be fulfilled, you're, you're, you're going to have bugs shipped. It's just the way it is. Um, and I don't think people recognize how many bugs are typically found in a game. Like, I can't imagine the bug database in something like a Witcher 3 or a Grand Theft Auto 6 or something like that. Like, on Madden, we would find fifteen to 20,000 bugs. Wow. They, they've got to be in the hundreds of thousands at that point. And, and when, you're, when you're talking about that volume of churn and code change fixes and like necessary implementation of things, stuff's going to get missed such stuff's going to get swept under the rug uh we had a we had a bug status at ea called known shippable we're like we're like yeah that's a bug too bad it's it's good we're, we're gonna live with it you know it's <laughs> it is what it is and if someone doesn't like it then we'll fix it next year because this is before patches um <laughs> oh yeah uh, so it, it was it, it's one of those things where whenever i see those massive games announced i'm always like that's it's gonna be buggy it's gonna be a mess i mean i i am as guilty as anybody of not liking constant title updates that we get today and constant, you know, day one patches and stuff like that. Oh, the game isn't complete. Why are we getting a day one patch? The, the complexity and just the, the overall size of games now, like even a sports title is massive. It's absolutely massive. How big those, it's just the nature of the beast. Software development happens all the time. Like people, I don't think people realize how many changes go into a website every day with bug fixes and stuff like that. Just going on on a, on a regular, like ESPN.com, <clears throat> probably goes through five or six iterations a day of getting bugs fixed and deployed. So crazy. I mean, we've been rushing through these games since like the ET debacle, you know, mm-hmm. just, we just always have the games that have to come out. They have to come out. We, you know, yep. we'll kill the developers and at least now they can patch them. But the old days it was rough because it comes out. That's it. That's what you got. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If it didn't work. It goes right in the garbage and it's costs. That's the thing people always forget too. these retro games. They cost like $60, you know, like old Nintendo games. They were like 60 bucks. Yep. in 90s money so yeah it's a lot i i i the first game i ever bought with my own money was super mario brothers 2 on the nes and it was something where i saved up for like literally a year saving my my three dollar a week allowance to have my 60 dollars to buy super mario brothers 2 and i was happy to pay it like i was so excited to get home. like I, I must have read the instruction manual 30 times on the drive home from toys r us it was like I don't bat an eye spending sixty or seventy bucks mm. on a game now. It's like, oh yeah, well, okay, that's the price of the hobby. That's what it is. Now imagine the poor kid back then who saved up for a year and he got Karate Kid. Seriously, <laughs> seriously, horrible. that's exactly right. Yes, like, 
the poor bastard that bought x-men or silver surfer like just (laughs) relentless the worst (laughs) but then in terms of in terms of patches it is nice that they can do that now because i mean i haven't played it but cyberpunk is now a good game right oh yeah from what i understand i haven't i haven't played it either it's just not not something that really interested me but yeah like i I, my friend my friend matt plays it and when when it released he was like i can i can get through it i can play it but i'm tolerating it because i'm a fan of the pen and paper game i was like okay that's that's fine i can understand that uh but i was he he brought it up a couple weeks ago he's like it's it's legitimately the best game i've i've played in years now because of the constant updates and the constant fixes that's awesome that's that's a perfect way to look at what title updates and what patches can do for a title that's that's huge and fantastic but at the same time if they waited and just put it out proper the first time it would probably be considered an all-time classic yes because people just if it comes out buggy doesn't matter how well it does later on uh people just view it in a poor light usually oh people still make no man's sky jokes i know and i always wanted to play that game i never got around to it but yeah the original release it's like it was such a lofty premise that they weren't gonna there's no way they're gonna live up to it yeah and then people were rightfully disappointed but then they just you know after all the patches and stuff and upgrades it's like you can go back and play it now it's probably a lot better yep but no one's going to nope which sucks (laughs) on the other side uh a recent game that i've been playing that i actually have noticed how there is i mean i haven't noticed a single thing wrong with it Granted, it's a simpler game, but Sea of Stars is incredibly impressive to me. I love Sea of Stars so much, <laughs> so so much. Uh, it, it was like legitimately until uh, Mario Wonder and Spider Man Two came out. It was that and Baldur's Gate Three neck and neck for my game of the year last year. I, there was there isn't a single thing about that game. Yeah, the 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 look is fantastic. The story is great. I love that it ties into the Messenger. Uh, if you, have you guys played that? I have downloaded it. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm still too. playing Sea of Stars. So once I beat that, I'm gonna go to the Messenger. It's so good. Uh, if if you like Ninja Gaiden, it's mm. it's so good. It's fantastic. Um, and they they tie together loosely, but also very directly. It's interesting <laughs> the way they did it. Um, because there will be story beats where you're gonna in in the Messenger, we're gonna be like, that's what they were talking about. Hmm. That's what they were. Okay, that's what they were referencing. Um, I but I, I I would agree. Sea of Stars is a perfect example of how to do a game. They announced that like three years ago and they, and their entire opinion of it was it'll be done when it's done. Right. And you know, say, say what you will about blizzard. And there's plenty of things you can say about blizzard, their theory and their initial, an initial like kind of motto and and way that they worked was when it ships is when it ships, we're not going to put a release date on something until we know it's done. Um, And now they've done away with that because, you know, everyone can look at overwatch two and see what they've done. But um like back in the world of warcraft days it was when they announced a, a an expansion or when they announced a new version of starcraft or a new version of warcraft it was because they knew that they could hit that release date because the game was essentially done at that point and it was just minor fixes and that was a huge thing of reliability and why they got so much goodwill with the uh with the, the community was because they put out quality they don't anymore but yeah. they also got bought by activision so mm-hmm. if you allow me a minor digression here sure what is your opinion because you mentioned messenger is uh similar to uh, ninja gaiden what is your opinion on the difficulty level of games now compared because like ninja gaiden was one of those ones uh relentless i mean the original trilogy is one of the hardest like if you beat that especially as a kid that's like the all-time accomplishment yeah. you know I mean, now you have speedrunners just flying through it ridiculously, you know, doing all the glitches and everything. But uh, how do you feel about modern games? Because that we were talking off air about Sea of Stars. My only gripe with the game so far is just it wasn't it's not challenging enough. I I would agree with with that. Um, I, I I do th- that. That is probably my biggest problem with Sea of Stars as well, is that it is fairly easy in the grand scheme of things. I'm very much there for the story, not for a challenging gameplay experience. Um my opinion, though, on on game difficulty is uh, probably four years ago, I'd have been very much on board with the games are very easy now, uh, but I am getting older. I am now in my mid 40s and I'm getting much worse at games. My hand eye coordination <laughs> is starting to slow down. So uh, games are getting that challenge back. Um, but I, I do think that's that's more indicative of my age and not necessarily the actual difficulty of the title. Um, and and there's there's certain games and, and I. I <laughs> trying to think of the best way to word this 
I really think it's going to depend on what game it is because there are certain games where I'll just pick up and be like, oh, boop, 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 there we go. That's easy. I can mm-hmm. figure that out. Um, but then I'll watch my wife pick something up that I'm I'm struggling with and pulling my hair out and you know yelling at the TV about, and she'll go through it in 30 seconds. I'm like, how the fuck did you do that? She's like, it's simple. You just follow the pattern. I'm like, what pattern? There's nothing. There. It's chaos. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like I I'm I'm of the opinion. Like, like I said, you know, I'm 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 older now. I play games for fun. I don't play on hard anymore. I, I'm I'm a normal or easy game player. I I am there to just have a good time and get through the game and enjoy myself. <laughs> no, the um, one thing I do appreciate about Sea of Stars is I'm able to just to play. Th- like I'm not slamming my controller. I'm not yeah, losing yeah. constantly to the same boss. So I can actually because I don't have a you know we're older. We don't have a lot of time exactly to invest in games anymore. At least you know most of us. So when you're able to just play once through and maybe you die a couple times but it's medium challenge is fine for me like i said my only complaint was it wasn't difficult enough that they do have adjusters on the game so you can make it a little more challenging and you know lower your life bar things like that but when it comes to like you know platformers and things like ninja guided you go into those kind of knowing there's to be difficult oh yeah uh, so yeah. if you like the messenger I haven't played it yet so i don't know how difficult it is i'm assuming it's a lot easier or at least more playable because uh, a lot of the NES titles, the a lot of the difficulty was just in the controls or lack thereof. Very so, much so that's more that's like a cheap, you know, cheap difficulty. Uh, so when modern games have the adjusters, though, I do like that because then you can adjust it to, hey, I want a challenge today, but maybe next time I play this, I want it to just be a normal playthrough. Uh, so that's like the one benefit of the modern technology is we can do that, and then that also brings in more gamers because. If you have an older person or a kid, they want to play a game. If it's too difficult, they're just going to quit. But if they can adjust it to their level, then they can have fun with it. And I think that's the most uh, important thing is accessibility. Everyone should be able to have fun with video games. Absolutely. And game, that, that's, that is, that's the ultimate yes right there because games are for everyone and everyone should be able to play. Um, that was one of my favorite things about Spider-Man 2 was exactly what you said there were some days where i'm like you know what i'm i'm ready let's let's bump this up to amazing difficulty i'm going to go in and have some good fights and it's going to be challenging and i'm going to enjoy it and then there's days where i'm just like nope nope i, I just want to swing around new york get in a couple of fights and just relax like and, and that was that was a huge win for me because i could i could adjust it on the fly and do what i wanted and it's one of the reasons it was my favorite game last year was because it could tailor itself to where i was at mentally that day right well, that brings yep. around to your original topic of some people in the retro gaming sphere are more of the toxic fan base, which you have with every fan base. Yep. Uh, and that's like the gatekeepers where it's, well, you didn't play it on this difficulty. So, you know, you don't count. You didn't beat the game because you didn't play it on max difficulty. And I always laugh at those. It's like, I play for fun. I don't want to yep. yeah. pull my hair out and, you know, throw a brick through my TV. It's a game. <laughs> at the end of the day like that's yeah. it's it's in the word it's a video game it's supposed to be fun uh and if it's too difficult for me to have fun then why am i gonna play it um like i've, I've never beaten ninja gaiden i don't actually know that i've ever gotten through the third level of ninja gaiden even as a kid it was just one of those games where it's like nope put the controller down i'm pissed off i don't want to play anymore <laughs> um and yeah it, it's 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 one of those things where it's i i want to be able to to enjoy my time with the video game and I, there's there's plenty of those NES games, those those NES hard games where it's just it's it's an enjoyable it's an unenjoyable experience. Um, one of the nice things about the messenger is it is like you mentioned though, because you know one of Ninja Gaiden's biggest issues was you're you're using essentially a brick with two buttons on it to yeah you know to get through this. And the messenger's controls are significantly better, and there's uh, different things that you can get that'll you know give you a slower falling speed or things like that that you can use to to move you through the level a little bit more easily. So it's Which a really a lot fun more title. fun. Yeah, it's a lot more yeah. fun when you have the mechanics and the the actual game mechanics are somewhat difficult, but you can you know get items that make it a little easier or improve the gameplay because then that's almost a benefit to oh well I have to get to this section and you know maybe I'll go out of my way to get to a hidden area because I can make the game more enjoyable. Absolutely. Well. We're uh we're, we're getting to the end on time here, but I do want to talk about your collection. Um, because sure. I've always been curious about that. I've heard about some people collecting games, but I just a few questions. But when did you get started? Like, what prompted you to say I want to actually start collecting these? Uh, there there's two answers for that. Um, one, I I grew up uh only child, so for me it was uh, I was an only child, but I moved a lot. So I moved between my mom's place and my grandparents' place. So for me, 
I never really had a connection to anywhere. So I always wanted to hold on to my stuff. That was my connection. Um, so when I was a kid, that's where the connect, that's where the collection came from. And that's why I held, held on to even games that I hated. I wouldn't get rid of. Um, luckily I broke that habit, uh, because I had to, cause I was broke, but, <laughs> um, I, I didn't really start collecting again until probably 2018. Um, okay. and it was, it was a, a decision that I wasn't just going to buy things for the sake of buying. Um, I had gone through that. Uh, I, I, used to collect toys as well. I mean, I still got a bunch of stuff around me. You can see I still do, but um, I used to have thousands of, you know, Star Wars action figures or GI Joe and things like that. And it's, and it was just, it was overwhelming. Um, and it got to be not fun. It got to be a chore uh, where it was just like, Oh, I've got to go to the store today to see if there's any new uh, mint on card, vintage collection, Star Wars figures. I need to see if any of the 25th anniversary Joes are out. And that's not what it's about. They're yeah. toys. These are games it's supposed to be fun. You know, it's exactly what we just talked about. And I, I decided when I started buying games again and I started kind of leaning back into retro gaming because I, I had kept up with with generational changes. But when I got back to saying, you know, I want to start getting some of the retro games that I used to play, I really had to sit and look at it and say, do you want that game because it's valuable or do you want that game because you're going to play it? And in some cases, the answer is both. You know, I want that game because it's valuable and because I'm going to play it because I love it. But at the same time, I'm not limited. I'm on the limited income. I don't have a ton of money. I'm not going to go out and spend $3,000 on a complete in box copy of Earthbound for the SNES. <laughs> I'm going to spend the $100 on the SNES mini that came out and just play it on there. <laughs> yeah, like, really. that's, that's good enough. That works. So it, it's I, I curate my collection now to only be things that I cared about or I care about currently with the switch. That's real easy because it's new and there's more availability for titles. So I can just go to the store and be like, yep, I wanted to get that. I wanted to get that. I wanted to get that. I'll pick up those games with retro stuff though. It's I am, I am very, very notorious among my friends for going to a gaming collect convention and coming back with nothing. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm just like, yeah, this just wasn't anything that caught my eye. And they're like, I spent $500 on this. I was like, I <laughs> spent $6 on popcorn. There's <laughs> <laughs> nothing caught my eye, but then we'll go to something like, um, my, my friend Chris, uh, game dad, uh, we, we went on a game hunt up to Grand Rapids a couple of months ago and he got probably five or six things. And I ended up getting 30 different games, but it was stuff where it's like, oh, I've always wanted to complete the NHL collection and they're all $2. So I'm going to buy as many of them as I can right now. And it's like, I, I got 15 to 20 games, but I spent 40 bucks. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I tend to curate now and I, I try to either only collect things that are things I'm going to enjoy playing again. I've never had the opportunity to play and I found a good deal on it and I want to give it a shot or specifically physical copies of games that I worked on um, mm -hmm. because a lot of those were just yeah, lost cool. to the wind. And that's, yeah, it's a trophy. You know, it's, it's one of those things where it took me when I left, I didn't leave on the best terms. I, I was laid off. Uh, me and 1400 other people were laid off. Uh, and I really, I, I felt, I felt kind of betrayed. And it's silly to look at it now because it's a multi-billion dollar corporation. Mm. They don't give a damn about me. They didn't betray me at all. <laughs> they're, You're they're just a number. Sure yeah. yeah, exactly. They're making sure their bottom line is fine. And I, and, and I look at it, you know, 15 years removed from the situation now, and I can appreciate it and understand it. I don't necessarily have to like it, but I can understand mm. it at least. But it, it took me till this year to actually put up the plaques from the games that I worked on on my wall. And it was just one of those things where it's like, I've had them in a pile next to my desk for years. And I was looking at him. I was like, yeah, you know what? I should be proud of what I did. I should, yeah, I should celebrate still did the, the work, you know, exactly. Um, and it was really cathartic to, to go through that. And I, I, I've got a shelf where I've got all my games up on them that I worked on. And it was like, that's really cool. It's really cool that I did that. Like, yeah, yeah. it's so now, now it's like, well, and now we need to get the physical copies of these games, these like seven or eight other games that I don't have anymore that I need to track down. So that's well, that's like we're both writers. So whenever we get in an anthology or something, like you want to put the print book on your shelf. Oh, absolutely. That, you know, that's your that's, work, and that's what you did. That's uh, but, what I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, but there was a, a question I always had about uh, collectibles, and I never had anybody to really answer this for me. Sure. Um, Especially when it comes to like, let's say NES games, for instance, we're about 30, 40 years removed from the original NES games. Now, what do you like? What do collectors do with the actual degradation of physical media? Because at some point they're just not going to work anymore. They're going to be non-functional. Yeah. So where's um, the value in it? What happens? 
I have no idea. I it's like a scary thought no because even CDs are getting to the point where they're degrading, so you you won't be able to use them. Like, and I know with NES games that that have a save battery, you there's there's ways you can replace the battery and preserve the save. You just resolder it onto the board, so it's not a dead battery leaking battery acid all over your game. <laughs> um, but I mean, honestly, like it's uh, there there's cleaning kits and stuff that are sold that you can use to to clean stuff up. There's different products that you can use to clean up the pins to make sure that they work. But for the most part, I think once it's dead, you're kind of done. Like if you have the ability, you can reflow the solder to try to reconnect stuff. But like that's yeah. that's beyond my skill set. Yeah, um, I don't want to be near something that hot. I'm going to burn myself. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's um, I, I think it's it's just at this point, you know, if you've got something that doesn't work, like I've got a couple of games that don't work that I just have for shelf pieces and they're cool to put on display. But yeah, just try to clean it as best you can and hope for yeah. the best. I think that's all you can really do. That would just be my biggest fear in buying physical media is that just one day just doesn't work anymore. And then, like you said, it's just on your shelf now. I mean, yeah. you can still look at it, but you can't play it anymore, which no, kind of defeats the purpose of having the original games and the original systems. It does. It's the it's the double-edged sword, though, because, di you know, going digital only on anything, they can just say, no, we're not going to have that game on the store anymore, and it Go goes on. away. Like, I've had a few games on Steam like that where it's like, where the hell is this game? I spent $30 on it. Oh, we don't offer it anymore. I'm like, Want my money back give yeah. it back like yeah. It's, <laughs> but yeah it's it's there's there's catches everywhere with this hobby unfortunately yeah you can't really do much about it no what do you think is uh this is probably something you've talked about in your videos but i can't remember <laughs> what do you, what's the uh, most prized thing in your collection um can i give two answers yeah go ahead okay <laughs> uh all right so the most prized thing in my collection is um I have three games that I have autographed from my test teams that I worked on. Okay. Uh, I have uh, Henry Hatsworth and Puzzling Adventure, Tiger Woods PGA Tour 10 on the Wii, and Tiger Woods PGA 10 PGA Tour 10 on the Xbox 360. Um, those are the the ones that they'll never go away. Those are things that are going to go with me to the grave probably. But other than that, my favorite game of all time is Suicoden 2. Uh, it was a PS1 JRPG. Uh, and it's, it's a valuable game. And I unfortunately a few years ago had to sell my copy uh, just because we needed money and you know there's no shame in that it's just one of those things that happens um but my my friend chris tracked me down a copy and got it for my birthday a couple of years ago oh that's awesome uh, and yeah it's uh it was something that i had uh kind of accepted that i was never going to own again and i was i was totally fine with it you know it's like one of those things is like hey it, it paid the electric bill that month <laughs> yeah. and i kept the heat on that's okay that's that's a good reason to sell a game but to to get it back was was huge like it was it, and it's it's sits on the shelf back there and it's in beautiful condition like it's it's gorgeous so cool. so. yeah i i love stories like that i i used to take guitar lessons when i was a kid and my uh my teacher he had this really unique uh gibson les paul and uh just to pay the bills he had to sell it one day and same thing like his friends got together like a year later like i think they tracked it down and they, they just Actually, I don't even think it was a year later. I think it was shortly after he sold it. His friends just felt so bad for him. Mm. They they figured out who he sold it to, bought it back, and gave it back to him. That's awesome. That's <laughs> yeah, really cool. So cool. I think he still used and I'm sure he still uses it like in his office and for his lessons every day. It's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Last thing about collecting. What would you say to someone <laughs> who wants to start a collection today? Uh go into it with open eyes. Don't think you're gonna be a completionist because you're not gonna be. Uh, that's that is therein lies madness. Um, yeah. If you think you're going to go in and get the entire NES set, you're a fool. Um, because unless you've got a, a secret stash of money somewhere where you can just yeah. buy the whole thing in one fell swoop, stadium events alone is over twenty grand now. Just don't do it. Just don't. Do you do think it. it's better to fo like have a narrow focus? So let's say I'm just gonna my first collection is just gonna be you know uh, Nintendo Power. I'm just gonna get all the issues I can of Nintendo Power. Instead of having a grander scope, I'm gonna get the games and the books, and, and you know, you just have too much, and then you know, you have a very sporadic collection that's nothing's gonna be close to completion. I, I think if you if you are determined to complete something, I think going one thing at a time is smart. Like you said, like saying, like, I'm going to get like if you are there for for NES stuff, start with one aspect of it. Say. I'm going to collect all of NES, and the first thing I'm doing is I'm getting all the black box type. I'm going to do everything from the first two years, and then we can go from there and see what I'm going to, what I'm going to spread out from from there. Or I'm going to collect all those issues of Nintendo Power that I wanted to collect. Uh, for me, collecting is is part of the journey of being a fan of games. And 
there's no, you know, I say, I say, don't do it, but it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with being a collector. There's something wrong with being a collector that just collects to not enjoy the thing you're collecting. Like if all you're doing is, yeah. Yeah. If all you're doing is collecting something to stick it on a shelf, why? Where's, where's the joy in that? If, if the joy is the pursuit, then I would suggest find a different hobby. I think some people do it almost as a competition. Like they have a buddy or somebody they know that wants this thing. They'll try to get it first just to say they have it almost like for bragging rights. And that don't th- I think that's again, toxic. That's not a good way to go about it, it. In my opinion, it can very much be a dick measuring contest. Yeah. And it's, it's like, you know, I've had people say, well, I have this. I'm like, I don't care. That's why things get so expensive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, they cause a scarcity that might not even be there because people want to fight over something that's probably not even that valuable to begin with. Yeah. It's like, uh, I gave the example of earthbound earlier. Earthbound isn't a rare game. No, you'll find earthbound at every single convention you go to, but people have said it's a rare game and people have said it repeatedly that it's a rare game. And if you say something often enough and loud enough, people will start to believe it. So the prices have gone through the roof. Now I can understand, you know, the, the big box complete in box version of earthbound being more expensive. That's fine. I get that. But there's no reason the cartridge should be $600. No, that's like a $60 game. Like it's yeah. <laughs> like, it's that's ridiculous. But as as far as like what yeah, the way I the way I look at it, it's like I said, I I curate the things I go, for. you know, collect the things that you're going to enjoy, that you're going to have fun with. If like I said, if you're just collecting to put it on a shelf, you're probably in the wrong hobby. There's probably something else you can do. Go go get into fine art, be an art mm. curator. It's holy crap, there's money to be made there. You're not going to find that in video games. <laughs> um just, you know, it, it's just collect the things that bring you joy. And and that's that's ultimately what the hobby's about is doing something that makes you happy. Exactly. Cool. Well, as we wind down, um, I just want to add something else I like about your channel is that I you know I watch your your re- review episodes and I always appreciate that you review things that most people. I mean, most people aren't commonly reviewing. There aren't mass amounts of people reviewing some of the smaller games that you do, and it's like I'm learning about all these games that I would never have even looked at if you didn't talk about them. Uh, you know, like you mentioned that Ebenezer Scrooge one that looks really cool. I'm interested in that. Maybe next year for for a Christmas episode. And uh, and there was like a language one that you talked about, and they you know these new, these things pop up in all your videos, and I just feel like you you're, you 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 focus on both both popular things and on less common things Mm -hmm. and uh video games and i appreciate that because i think you know for us as well like it's a it's like a balancing act where you want to talk about the you want to talk about the things that you know people are going to be interested in but you also want to talk about the things that piqued your interest and that you think other people should know about and you have to you have to balance that because it's like it's like you're you're kind of knowing that you're you might not get as many as much engagement with mm. those other ones but uh i just appreciate that about about your channel and and just the way you talk about them and just wanted to add that before uh, before we ended but our, our last thing i asked you to ahead of time think about a uh video game that makes you think of a think of a book or vice versa and i curious what your answer is sure uh so um i, I i've kind of briefly told this story on on my channel in the past but it's to, to flesh it out here a little bit more. So when I was younger, I grew up in Fall River, Massachusetts, and we had an incredible public library. I love libraries. I've loved libraries my entire life. It's one of the reasons I'm, I work in library software now. Um, and the, the, the person who worked in the children's section actively listened to what the kids were interested in. Not just a, you should read the Hardy Boys. You should read Nancy Drew. You should read this. It was, oh, what kind of things do you like? What are you into? And I had told her that the things I was into, I really liked superheroes and I really liked fantasy stuff. Like I liked the stories of King Arthur and I liked the stories of, you know, kind of these high fantasy, just crazy ideas. And she said, I have an idea if you're willing to give it a try. It's based on very old stories, though. Do you think you'd be interested? And I said, probably not, but okay. (laughs) And she handed me a copy of Dolaire's book of Greek mythology. And the the thing that immediately captivated me was uh the the stunning artwork in the book like it was like every story was perfectly illustrated and it was everything from the introduction of the titans 
all the way through to the end where the the Greek the Greek gods disappeared and they became the constellations and things like that in the sky. And I was hooked. The second I sat down and read the book, I was absolutely hooked. And mythology became something that was uh, mythology and folklore became something that was unbelievably important to me just in my everyday life. And it was something I was interested in and I researched and I read about and something I still do to this day to the point where American folklore is now something I'm interested in, like cryptids, like Bigfoot and the Hodag and stuff like oh, that, where yeah. it's like, this is, me this too. is our version of Greek mythology. And I still love <laughs> superheroes, which are modern day mythology. And it's, it's something where it, it, it captivated me. And that love of Greek mythology led me to the battle of Olympus. Uh, which is kind of like uh, Zelda II, The Adventure of Link, uh, okay. but it takes place in ancient Greece. Um, and you're going through and you're completing different trials or basically the trials of Hercules and things like that. And uh, It's a fascinating game that is is one of my favorite memories from when I was a kid, one of my favorite games. Uh, and that's persisted to this day. Uh, and I know for a lot of people, they're going to think, oh, Greek mythology, God of War. Absolutely. The God of War PS4, PS5 games. I don't like God of War. It's just, it's <laughs> never clicked for me. I don't care for Kratos as a protagonist, uh, but one game that I love is, let's get that in frame, is Assassin's Ooh, Creed yeah. Odyssey. Um, I am an Assassin's Creed mark. I, I've been a mark for Assassin's Creed since the initial one debuted. Um, I am kind of an apologist in that regard because in my eyes, they can't really do any wrong, even though if I look at it objectively, I go, that game kind of yeah. sucked. Uh, <laughs> um, I still love the concept and the core ideas of what Assassin's Creed does. And Odyssey took place in ancient Greece. You go all over Greece, like every every city state, every major town. You see the Parthenon. You see the statue of Zeus. You know, like all this incredible stuff, and it just reignited that love of Greek mythology that I had when I was a kid. And it was something where, as I'm playing it, I'm like, oh yeah, no, that's what that is. That's what that means. And it was, God, just it's 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 not really a title so much as it is just kind of the concept of of the yeah. shared story of Greek mythology was something that was really big to me. Even if Assassin's Creed, like if one of the games isn't that good, the, uh, just exploring the worlds, the ancient <laughs> worlds, that that's that does it for me. Yep. Like I, I get so excited just doing that. So I don't even care if the gameplay is the greatest. Like I just like the story and just being able to go. Like you said, you get to see the statue of Zeus and all this cool shit that doesn't even exist anymore. Well, some yep. of it doesn't exist anymore, and it's like I I could do that all day. Yeah, I, I loved it. There was, a, and it was something, it was the, the other thing I love about that game. It was one that my wife really got into. So her, her favorite game of all time is, is Breath of the Wild. Uh, and she legitimately put in over a thousand hours on that game, just going Whoa. through every nook and cranny of that overworld and just exploring every possible aspect of that game. Uh, and then I introduced her to Assassin's Creed and it was very much the same thing where she's she's like, I have to complete every quest. So I was like, you're never going to finish the game, honey. <laughs> but, you know, watching her play and and explore and go through where I didn't have to be in combat mode or fire, you know, the natural reaction of fight or flight as you're, you're playing a game. I could just sit back and watch and observe. It was so neat to, to yeah. go through and kind of remember like stuff I've researched and stuff I've read about as a kid. I was like, oh, that's where... That's where the original Olympics was, I think. If, that's like, if I'm remembering correctly, that's where this next, qu next quest goes. And sure, shit, you go and you're on the track and field area where the like the discus and the javelin stuff was. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, this, I love this. This is so cool. <laughs> That'd be um, a fun game to work on. Oh, God, yes. That would be... That, it's, that's one of the things I would go back to the end. Um, there's not much I, I would return for. But if they said, hey, we want you to lead QA efforts on a new Assassin's Creed, done. Um, <laughs> we want you to lead... You know, and, and if Nintendo called, Nintendo could call me tomorrow and say, we want you to be the janitor and I'd be there. But it was... <laughs> yeah, it, it's ah, just a Greek mythology, man. I love it. Absolutely love it. Great answers. Thank I you. always I always loved Assassin's Creed too. I I, uh, I played it up until the... Uh, uh, I forget which one it is, but it's the one where you play as a Native American. That's AC3. And I love that game. Um, I really think that is a very much underrated title uh, that a lot of people kind of overlook because it falls between uh, the Ezio trilogy, which everyone loved, mm -hmm. and Black Flag, which everyone loved. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely kind of the little brother of those two games. <laughs> like, it's not not as good as ac2 it's not as good as ac4 but there's some really strong storytelling in that game um and it takes it to a place where it, you're, it's putting you in revolutionary america that's kind of fascinating because we're all sort of familiar with it especially here in the states we're like i know that name like on some <laughs> yeah. of them you're like i don't really know who hippocrates is but okay i'll follow the quest path but i know ben franklin 
I know that name like here in the States. I know who that is. So I that think was that a was fun game of... to explore as well, just because of the scenery and everything, because it's like, oh, this is what our country used to look like. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know if that was a game that fell. Uh, I'm not sure if it was. What was that? Did that come out at the time where it was like they were starting the transition to the next generation? Yeah, because that, that was I, I think I, I didn't finish that game. And I think it's because it didn't run as well on PS3 yeah i i've got it on 360 and it doesn't doesn't run great yeah um and I, I do think that's one of those things where it was they were starting to try to kind of push the limits of what the systems were capable of and unfortunately they mm-hmm. just couldn't get there yeah so that was that was my only i think that's probably my only complaint about it which isn't even like you know if i played yeah. it on something that could run it better i'd probably go straight <laughs> through it but yeah thanks for thinking of those answers uh i love hearing what people say and people that actually understand the question. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people, a lot of times people are like, what do games and books have to do with each other? I don't understand, but stories. Oh, yeah. so yeah. much. It's the story. It's the yeah. story. And if it's not the story in the game, it's the story behind the creators. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so I love it all. Stories are important. Absolutely. But thank you so much for coming, Jay. I, I've been so eager to talk to you and this was a blast. I would be completely happy to talk to you again sometime in the future. And maybe I'll see you at an event. <laughs> I I would love that, uh, both to see you again and to be on the show again. This is this is a lot of fun. And I thank you guys for having me so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, awesome. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to Arcade Bookshop again. Uh, again, thank you for being here, Jay. Um, everybody, be sure to watch Jay's YouTube channel, Square Pegs. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> anything you'd like to plug before we sign off, Jay? uh yeah just if if you if you search me uh on youtube i am the square pegs without sarah jessica parker there was also a uh, tv <laughs> a lot show of videos the, yeah <laughs> yeah tv show in the 80s uh called square pegs which i had no idea about until about two years after i'd started the channel <laughs> and uh, someone's like oh like sarah jessica parker i'm like what are you talking about and, yeah uh so no i i am the one with the beard and not the one that is sarah jessica parker. right <laughs> Okay, stay tuned every other Monday for regular episodes of Arcade Bookshop. Uh, If our last episode was about a video game, we can usually bet the next one will be about a book that game reminded us of. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you like listening to us shoot the shit about video games and books, please tell a friend to listen, because personal sharing is by far the best way for us to grow and continue putting out good content and increasing the quality of the show. Please remember to rate us five stars and leave us some reviews if you haven't already. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at arcade underscore bookshop and TikTok and YouTube at arcade bookshop. If you have any game and book recommendations, you can DM us anywhere or email us at arcadebookshop at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your ideas. And Caleb, anything new with DPW? Uh, depending when this episode drops at the end of January, we have two guests coming on and Possibly more guests in the future. A lot of different authors I will be uh, interviewing. So, yeah, check those out. You go to at DPW podcast. Just Google it. We come up on all kinds of stuff. All right. Well, as always, don't forget, keep a controller in one hand and a book in the other. <laughs>